We're in the midst of this series on 1 Peter that we uh, have called Exiles, Strangers, Sojourners, and uh, we've kind of found ourselves in a mini-series in the midst of the series where we've been talking about authority, human authority structures and the, the, the authorities that God has placed over us and how we as Christians should respond to that. And this morning we turn to chapter 3 and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 together. Uh, let's listen now to God's word. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey a word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Last week I was reminded of a well-known comic shared by many times over the years of a, a preacher who's standing in a, a war bunker that used to be his pulpit, and he's holding onto his helmet. He's sort of anticipating what's to come. And as he braces for impact, he says to his church, today's sermon is on 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. We're going to talk about wives submitting to their husbands. If there was ever a controversial word in the church, especially for our day, this is probably it, right? You and I know the very definition of marriage, the institution of marriage is under duress. But then you add into it the simple topic of gender and roles in the household, and I know full well this is a hot button. And it seems to me that there are occasions, right, where, where God's word challenges us to dig in and, and think different than the world around us, and then there are times where his word goes so heavily against the current that we're probably tempted to avoid it altogether. Six times in this lesson, Peter refers to his wife's role in the marriage just once he refers to the husband. Seems a bit outweighted. So the way you play this as a pastor is you schedule this scripture on the same weekend as the women's retreat. <laughs> wife is, is gone, all the ladies are out. That keeps things cordial. No, but rather than deflect on this topic, I think what we should actually do is we should lean in and let's ask some hard questions together, right? Because the fact is, the world has very little left to offer us in a successful marriage. Have you noticed that? If you leave the bounds of Scripture and you ask the world, what, what does it mean to be a husband or a wife? There's very little left in helping us understand what a healthy marriage looks like. And as controversial as this passage might be, I believe it gives us something beautiful and even transformative for husbands and wives, whether your marriage is rock solid or your marriage is on the rocks. 
And let me say this too, if you're not married, maybe you're a teen among us, maybe you're a widow, what you learned this morning may very well one day save your own marriage or save someone else's marriage as you think about what God's word has for us. This is a word for all of us to lean into and not away from. You know, some might come to this passage and they might say, see right here, this proves God's word is antiquated, it's patriarchal, somehow these rules no longer apply. But I think the real reason that we shrink from this word is that this is one of the most severely misunderstood and abused scriptures in all of the church. In fact, just so I'm clear, let me say it a little bit more direct than that. The reason this teaching is so offensive is that our sin has tainted what it teaches. So here's how I thought we'd break this down. I wanna talk about three misconceptions that often come with this passage. And then I wanna replace each one of those errors with three truths about what a healthy marriage might be. Three errors we're gonna look at, and then each one we're gonna replace it with a more gospel-oriented truth. And the first error I want us to address is this. There is an unspoken assumption that this passage somehow makes women lesser than men. Anyone ever experienced that? There's two places where this gets misunderstood and misused in God's word. The first is in Peter's call to submission. That alone in our day and age sounds like a lesser than kind of scenario. But then it gets reinforced when Peter names wives as weaker vessels of their husbands. So look again at how this passage begins in verse one. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if they don't obey a word, they might be won without a word by your conduct. You know, when we hear that word to be subject, to be subject to something over us, in this day and age, it automatically creates this this negative connotation where we think weakness. But before we jump to any conclusions, I think we should ask, why would Peter be asking wives to submit to their husbands in the first place? What is the historical context? Where did this come from? There's an issue to be dealt with, right? Right? Be subject to your husbands, he says, even if they refuse the word. Remember, Peter's writing to a church that finds itself, as I said, exiles. They are misfits in an unbelieving world. That's the theme of this entire letter. And the question that Peter seems to be answering over and over again in this teaching is, how does a believer relate to a faithless society in order to influence and win people for Christ? And you think about it, one of the most personal issues that a new believer faces, especially if they're married to an unbeliever, is what do I do when my spouse doesn't believe, but I do? How do I play that? You know, some of us still today, we know this predicament firsthand. Maybe your spouse is adverse or maybe even downright hostile to your faith. Maybe they might be a a, a believer, but they're struggling to heed God's word. You know, when there's a disconnect of faith in the house, it it creates an immediate tension that needs to be dealt with. And I think context is important here. You should know it was an absurdity at that time for a wife not to follow behind the faith of her husband. There's no easy way to say this. She was property at that time. From a Greco-Roman perspective, the woman's faith followed her man every time. So if the husband converts to Christ... Well, that means his family automatically falls behind. There's no reason to address that scenario. But if the wife comes to faith and he doesn't, she has an immediate problem. What do you do with an unbelieving husband? 
And the risk at that time in claiming Jesus was that the wife would be accused of trying to subvert her husband's authority. This is a culture, remember, where the husband is the judge, the jury, and even the executioner. This was a real social dynamic that needed to be addressed. So when you look at this scripture in that context, you actually realize this being subject to, this submission thing, it's, it's not an idea that belittles women. This is a lesson that empowers them. Peter says, here's how you keep your witness pure. Subject your life to your husband and all the other ways so that when you stand firm in Christ, he sees Jesus in you. As one commentary explained, you know, in Peter's day, you would never address women like this in a public letter. Just the fact that Peter addresses wives as co-heirs of God's grace, that's a radical shift from the status quo. So this is not a belittling letter, this is an encouraging letter. And Peter's trying to answer, how does a wife maintain faithful witness in an unbelieving world with an unbelieving spouse? He says you do this by voluntary submission for the sake of Jesus' name. Hang on to that. We're going to unpack that some more. I know we still have more to go there. But there's a second piece where we read this scripture, a second place, and we again misunderstand women as lesser than. Look at this in verse 7. Peter now shifts his focus to the men, and he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now right there, that's the fighting words, right? Like when I think about my wife and any arguments that we might have, the one card I probably don't want to play is, well, you're the weaker vessel. <laughs> but again, P Peter's not talking about mental or intellectual or spiritual weakness here. He's simply stating this fact that by and large, with a few exceptions, most men are physically stronger than their wives. And rather than take advantage of this, Peter says, as a husband, you're called to honor your wife especially given that difference. And just think about that word, to honor. What does it mean to honor someone? To honor someone puts them in a place not lesser than, but greater than, doesn't it? A soldier is an honorable man or woman. A mother is an honorable position to hold. There was a study recently put out from Christianity Today on domestic violence in the home and it found out that two-thirds of wives who had experienced some kind of abuse from their spouse believed it was their biblical mandate to ensure that they stayed with their husband and endured him in order to show their commitment to the faith. Two-thirds. That's a heartbreaking statistic, right? Because it tells you just how misused this scripture is on both sides of the aisle. If we're following the heart of this word, wives should be honored, elevated by their husbands, not submissive in their abuse. That's the corrective for this first error, actually. Wives are not lesser than. Wives should be honored. They should be esteemed, respected, revered. Men, I think it's worth asking, you know, how can we do this better? Most of the time I sit down and I write a sermon and I just knock it out all in one day on a Wednesday. But this time it was, I would write a few, few things and then I'd pick up the phone and call my wife and say, oh, yep, got a few more things I need to confess. And I'd hang it up and I'd write a few more and oh, we gotta talk again. Look again at this in verse seven. After spending six verses on wives, Peter says, likewise, men, here's a lesson for you. 
And I'm convinced that the reason Peter gave the men only one verse is because he knew this is probably all we could handle anyway. Ephesians 5.25 says it like this. You're to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now here a lot of times is where you'll hear a preacher say, this is mutual submission, right? The woman submits to her husband in leadership. The husband submits to his wife by dying for her. But I don't know that it's so mutual. Because nowhere in scripture does it call on the wife to die for her man. See, I, Peter says, honor your wives. Honor your wives. In, in World War II, some of the most terrifying moments were in the tunnels and the trenches, right? And as the leader, you were the one that went in first. You were the one who was willing to take his life and lay it down for those who followed. But for Peter, I think it's even more basic than that. Let's not jump to that extreme. He says, to honor your wife looks like this. To honor our wives are two things. Live with them and know them. Look at this in verse seven. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. That's how you show honor. Which seems like a no-brainer, right? Like the first thing I assume after I've married off a couple, after they've said I do, is they're gonna live together and get to know each other. That's what marriage is. So why would you state the obvious? Years ago, Michigan State University did a study on unhappy marriages and physical health, and their findings were actually quite alarming. For those who live with their spouse in constant conflict and with passive-aggressive kind of silence in the marriage, their physical well-being went off a cliff. They said heart disease and stroke skyrocketed among the group. See, Peter's giving this hedge of protection from that kind of married life, right? He says, men, honor your wives, and the way that you honor your spouse is you know her and you live with her. It's that simple. You know, I found in my own marriage, this is vital, right? This is everything. Presence and being fully present. When Jen asks me, do you like this outfit or that one? Hear me out. Is she asking my opinion? No, in that moment, it's your job as a spouse to know your wife so well that you watch the twinkle in her eye when she holds this one or that one up, and that's your favorite, right? I think it's so much more than that, though, right? Knowing your wife, let's face it, it's not the default lifestyle. Living with her does not come easy. Spending time together, we have to fight for this. You know, I know not everyone's raising kids in the room right now, but for those of us that are, like, you know the day, right? The day is wearisome. The kids want your undivided, work was crazy, dinner and dishes need to get done, you finally get them to bed, and sometimes all you want to do is just veg out on your own. But Peter says, if you want a healthy marriage, men, it looks like knowing your spouse and living with her. Presence and being fully present. First error when you try to understand this passage, women are not lesser than. Wives should be honored more than. The second, the second thing, the error that I think we need to be careful of when, when we interpret this word is that a wife's submission should never be forced, coerced, or manipulated. Again, think about the Trinity with me. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just before our passage, Peter homes in on the Son. He says, Jesus bore our sin that we might live to righteousness. 
Christ subjected himself to the Father's will, in other words, as a voluntary act that was wrapped up in love. And not only, not only did that act not make Jesus lesser than, as we know he's equal with the Father, but it was also an intentional choice that he made to serve in love. And after Peter lays all that out, now he says, likewise, likewise, wives, you make the same intentional choice to follow your husband as he loves and honors you. To be subject to your spouse is a voluntary act of love. Now, I've heard it said at the end of every party, there's two kinds of people. There's those who are ready to go home and those who want to stay and party a little bit more. The trouble is, those two types of people typically exist in every marriage. You see that in church all the time. I'm like, where's Bob? He's in the truck. The Bible says, in marriage, two become one, which then begs the question, which one leads? I mean, someone has to lead, right? But leadership requires followership. And just as wives are called to voluntarily submit to their husbands, so the husband voluntarily lives in such a way that he would die for her. See, here's the biblical truth, right? This is how God's word lays this out. The scripture couldn't be any more clear. Men lead their wives. The Bible says this over and over again. And men, how we lead will influence how our wife will follow. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Colossians 3.18, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting for the Lord. Now let's just stay with that difficult pill for a minute. I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus. What is it that makes you want to follow Christ? Was it that he manipulated you into it? Or that he strong-armed you into doing what he wanted from you? Now, what makes us want to follow Jesus is his unwavering sacrificial love for us, right? I had two different cross-country coaches in high school. One was an absolute tyrant. He made our lives impossible, rarely had a good word to say. Even after we busted tail for him in a workout, he was always angry at someone. And if you were the weaker one in the group, you were his outlet. The other coach, though, he was much like an older brother. He would go running alongside us. He'd stay after practice to help us lift weights, and God knows I needed it, still do. He'd randomly call on us with a word of encouragement right before a race. Even in our loss, he was there for a hug. Now, who do you suppose I ran harder for? See, when you consider what Jesus' leadership over the church really is, what it actually looks like, it actually puts this submissive thing into, perf into perspective. I feel like in, this, in marriage today, there's really two extremes in, of leadership that often taint this principle of scripture. Men either abuse their God-given authority in their life and they treat their women poorly, lord their leadership over them, or they shrink from leadership altogether and wrongly make their wives lead them. Neither of which is helpful for a healthy marriage. You know, this is a thought about parenting, but it hits the same topic. Do you know America is the world's leader in fatherless children? 18.5 million kids without a dad. 
There is a crisis of male leadership in this country. Men have never been more isolated. And if you are married, especially married with children, men, it's on us to lead and lead well. I hope you hear me preaching with you and not at you. As I said, six times our women are given instruction here, but one instruction that the husband gets is absolutely significant. Look at this again in verse seven. Peter says, honor your wife so that your prayer life might not be hindered. Now that assumes two things, right? It assumes one, first, that we as husbands are already on our knees in prayer to God. But second, it assumes that when we're not serious about honoring our wife, our prayer life will be hindered. First misconception, women are not lesser than men. Wives are to be honored by their husbands. Second misconception, submission is never forced. Husbands are called to earn it. Third, to be subject to your husband is not the equivalent of being silent in the home. I can remember early on as a young man sitting in a Christian leader's house for small group in college and him actually saying the words to his wife, Women are to be seen, not heard. I will never forget that. I still feel sick about that, how he twisted God's word, humiliated her in front of this whole group of impressionable young men. Look at this again with me one more time. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if they don't obey the word, they might be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. We should be clear here, right? Peter's not saying that a woman should never say a word in the home, that a wife can't disagree or speak her mind. In fact, I think I already showed us the opposite of that, right? If you're called to know your wife and understand her, you can't do that if you're not listening as she talks it out. But instead, here's what Peter's getting at. Peter wants these women to know, especially with unbelieving, stubborn husbands, that actions speak louder than words. You know, I've found you can lecture your spouse, or maybe I should say Jen's found. You can lecture your spouse. You can nag all day about something that's grinding your gears. You can get all the words off your chest and feel like you accomplished something. But men can be stubborn, right? We'll dig in. A fight will ensue. But what Peter's getting at here is the stronger witness of your faith, instead of talking about it, is to live it. And particularly if you have an unbelieving spouse, to know that nagging is not evangelism. The way you live your life, the way you love and serve your spouse, that will be what heaps coals on their head. Herb Miller in his book, Actions Speak Louder Than Words, he once wrote about two Kentucky farmers who held a deep rivalry with each other. And on one particular spring, these two farmers decided to settle the matter once and for all, and so they entered both of their horses into the local steeplechase. And just before the race, one of the farmers, he got this great idea to hire a professional jockey from the big leagues in order to ensure the win, figured that'd do him in. So the gun went off, the two horses were neck and neck with this professional jockey in the lead, but then suddenly both horses tripped over each other and fell. The professional jockey got back, remounted his horse, and rode on to the wind of the race. When he got back to the stalls, the, the farmer was fuming mad at him. He said, what were you thinking? The jockey said, what are you talking about? We won, what's the problem? He said, yeah, you won, but you remounted the wrong horse. <laughs> how we win an argument with our spouse, 
How we win them to the Lord is just as important as the win itself. So often, I think we, we feel that the words will win someone's love or we think that the better argument will win them over to our side. We think if we just manipulate or maneuver with more promises or threat, that might work. But really, Peter says, especially when it comes to your Christian witness, what's needed is less lecture and more action. He goes into detail about how it's not about your outward appearance, it's about the inward heart. That even, listen to this wordplay, even if they don't obey a word, win them over without a word. Women are not lesser than, they're called to be honored and cherished as Christ loved the church. Submission should come as a result of love from both parties and nothing less. Actions speak louder than words. As of 2023, the marital statistics still stands. More than half of marriages in this country will fail. And the question I think is, as the church, how do we offer a better witness? And I know, I know full well this lesson is counter to the culture that we dwell in, and my hope is it'll spur on conversations as we head out for lunch today. Men, ask your wives, where don't I honor you? And then understand them well. Women, ask your husbands, where do you feel that I don't respect or follow you as a leader? It's a biblical reality. Wives are subject to their own husbands. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor as you lead her. Let's ask God to help us live that out in our marriages. Will you pray with me? God, we believe your word is timeless, that it is an eternal, or that the grass and the flower may fade, but this, your word, will endure forever. So God, as we look ahead in our lives and we, we think back, Lord, would you help us to heed this word? God, would you help us to understand what it means to live this word counter to the culture around us? Help us to honor our spouse, to love as you loved us, and to lead well. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen.